try to enjoy who they are each day with the disease, you know, um, love them for, for what they still are, as opposed to what you, you know, wish they still were. Seniority Authority exists to answer your questions on aging. The world has changed dramatically in a generation with more retirees than ever before, living longer, with more choices. If you're an older adult or have an older adult in your life, where do you go to begin to understand those choices? I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, with over a decade of work experience in retirement communities. I can track down the right people to answer your questions. So send your questions on aging to me, and together, let's get smarter about growing older. Hi, I'm Kathleen Toomey, host of Seniority Authority, and today we are speaking with Ashley Campbell. She's the youngest daughter of singer-songwriter, award-winning Glenn Campbell, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and proceeded to go on a goodbye tour, which she recorded in a documentary film. Ashley was part of his band, as well as the youngest member of his family, and she shares with us what it was like going through those years with her dad and her coping skills and recommendations for families who are dealing with Alzheimer's. It's a wonderful, candid, and intimate conversation, including a new song by her called Remembering, which was on a Grammy award-winning album. Stay tuned for my conversation with Ashley Campbell. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Now let's hear from today's guest. Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, and today I'm thrilled to have Ashley Campbell with us. Ashley is the youngest child of Glenn Campbell and his wife, Kim Campbell. Ashley herself is an accomplished singer, songwriter, and musician with two albums under her belt already at a very young age. Her latest album, called Something Lovely, was published in October of 2020. And Ashley is here to talk to us about her life with her dad, Glenn Campbell. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Tell me, what was your dad like growing up? You're the youngest of his children. What was your experience with your dad as a father? We all know him as this phenomenal songwriter and singer, but what was he like as a dad? He was a wonderful dad, um, and I think I... I definitely benefited from being his youngest um, and because he had me when he was um, he was around 50 years old and um, it meant that he you know his career was calming down a little bit so he could spend more time um, with with his family and so 
um, we got a lot of time with him and, and he always put family first and we were very important to him and, and he loved just being around us. He loved children and, um, he loved golf. So, um, we lived on a golf course for most of my childhood and that was really fun to, you know, get it going out on the golf course and watching him putt. And, um, I just had a great childhood and, you know, music was a big part of the household because there were guitars everywhere and he was always singing and, and we all, my brothers and I, Cal and Shannon, we all kind of inherited some musical talent. And so it was, you know, music was a part of our daily lives for sure. That's wonderful. In fact, um, I know that your brother, Cal, helped produce your first album and was he, in, and it was, it's on your own record label. Is, was he involved in the second one as well? So Cal didn't produce my second um, record, but he did play on it. You know, my brother's very supportive of me. Um, both of my brothers were played and either played or sang on my second record. Um, but my friend Kai Welch produced the record and I'm super, super pleased with it. It, it very, it very much feels like who I am as an artist. That's wonderful. How did your musical career evolve? And, and was it always, did you always assume that you would go into music like your dad? I'd never, I never thought I would go into music professionally. I, I always loved music and it was, it was something that I did for fun. But I, I guess maybe in the back of my mind, I, cause both of my brothers always knew they wanted to do music from day one. Um, so I was like, I have to choose something different, I guess, cause I don't want to just be a copycat or anything like that. But I really fell in love with, um, with musical theater when I was in the seventh grade and so I, I kind of said, okay, I'm going to pursue this route. And so I did theater all through high school and ended up um, becoming a theater major at Pepperdine University when I went to college. And I just, I loved acting and, but musical theater, obviously, I love the music too. And, um, and I did, uh, I, I auditioned for the improv troupe at Pepperdine University. Wow. Um, my freshman year, and I didn't make it. But I had so much fun in the audition, I thought, I want to do this all the time as well. So I found an improv school in, in Hollywood called The Groundlings, which is, in my opinion, one of the best improv schools in the country. Um, I might be biased, but also <laughs> many other people share my opinion. But um, I started doing classes at The Groundlings when I was 18. And so I would finish my schoolwork and then drive the hour-long <laughs> commute into Hollywood um, after class and, and do night classes at the groundlings with people who, <laughs> most of the people in those classes were, were in their like late twenties or thirties or even forties. And so I felt I was 18. So I must've been, you know, a baby to them or something. The baby but, <laughs> improv. <laughs> yeah. Cause now I look at 18 years, 18 year olds, I'm in my thirties and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, you're an infant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But how, what do you know about the world? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about the world. I thought I did, but, it, but I got a lot of great experiences there, but it's funny. Most of the, the parts that I got at, uh, in the theater department at Pepperdine, all the, in the shows were because I could play an instrument and sing. Um, so I think that was kind of the world giving me some subtle hints that maybe I should pay a little more attention to music. Um, and my junior year, I got into a play for the department that called for someone to play banjo. And so they, the director went to me and asked, cause I was known as kind of being able to pick up any instrument with strings and kind of play it well. 
So the director asked me if I would learn banjo for the show. So Pepperdine actually bought me my first banjo and paid for my first couple of lessons. And I totally clicked with the instrument and, and identified with it and started pursuing it on my own after that show. And that's how I started touring with my dad. Wow. Now you said that, um, you put your life on hold when your dad's diagnosis happened and it was a really big decision for you, your mom and your family and your dad to go public with his diagnosis. Um, what did that mean, putting your life on hold? Had you graduated already from school? Yes. Yeah, so I graduated in 2009 and started touring with my dad um, that November. After I graduated in May and I started touring with my dad in November. I think we did a... So he was going to Australia and New Zealand for a nice tour. And I, I thought, saw that as my opportunity because I'd always wanted to go to those places. I said, hey, can I come along? I'll carry your suitcases, whatever you need. And he had the idea to have me play banjo on Gentle on My Mind in the show. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I asked if I could go, could go without even thinking, can I be in the band? I didn't ask to be in the band because, you know, I just didn't think of myself that way. Um, but he believed in me and he he wanted me in the band. And so originally I was just going to play that one song and then hang out backstage. But his musical director, TJ Kenster, who played piano, said, oh, no, you don't. I want someone to play the, <laughs> I've been wanting an extra band member for a long time and now's my chance. So he had me, because I played piano as well a little bit, um, so he had me learn all the, the string synth parts on a synthesizer piano. So I became a full member of the band that day. And <laughs> Wow. That, yeah, he said, you're going to, if you're going to tour New Zealand and Australia, you're going to work. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know what? I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think I got paid for that tour. It was kind <laughs> of like an audition to be in the band almost, and... <laughs> But I had so much fun. I, that was my first kind of opportunity to see the world as a traveling musician. And it was some of the best memories of my life. That was my first tour. Um, I was terrified because I had never played music professionally. And um, But my dad, you know, was so comforting on stage. He would always look back at me and smile. And I think it really gave him a lot of joy and, and peace to see his daughter on stage with him. Sure. Wow. That's an incredible opportunity. Um, I mean, it's incredible to go to Australia and New Zealand. I've been able to go to both those places myself. But to do that tour on a stage with your dad, that's phenomenal. It must have really cemented quite a bond. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely did. And, you know, it it did literally kind of fall into my lap. But I've always been a, a firm believer of deserving opportunities, not just letting things happen to you, but once they do, really working to deserve it. And so I worked very hard to to make sure I belonged on that stage with those other great musicians. Even though you weren't paid. <laughs> Even though I wasn't paid at first. But yeah, after the after the after the tour, um I I did they asked me to stay on and be a part of the band. So I did start getting paid and and I had known those band members and, and the, the crew for my entire life. They had seen me grown up grow yeah. up, you know, from a little baby. And now we were drinking buddies, you know, it was, it was really fun to get to get to make friends with them as an adult, you know, people yeah. who I'd known my whole life. Um, so, you know, the tour, the tour group became very much like a family. And I understand that happens on, on tour groups, but it's a, 
you were forging a different relationship with them uh, than they had watching you grow up. So it's really your, your working family. Yeah, exactly. So you had already been touring with your dad um, before this whole diagnosis came about. And tell me about the decision that, that you, your dad, and your mom, and the family made to go public with that diagnosis. So I think I think the story goes, um, I'm so bad at remembering specific dates and things like that, but I know... I know we made the announcement in 2011 that he was going to go on tour and tell and announce that he had Alzheimer's. And honestly, I don't think I was a big part of that decision. That was kind of my dad's decision. You know, he just said, you know, we, I knew he had Alzheimer's and, and he said, I'm, I want to keep touring. And we all just supported him, you know, Um, and I wanted to keep touring too, of course, you know, and I wanted to, and I knew my dad had Alzheimer's. And so it it became very important to me to spend as much time as I could with him. And that meant touring with him, of course. And also I started to become very protective of him on stage and off. So I definitely wanted to be there on stage. Um, as you can see in, in the documentary, if you've seen that, that, you know, I was there if he got confused or anything, I had a wireless microphone pack and in-ears um, that I could, you know, just walk out to center stage without having to take any cords off and, and help him with whatever he needed, whether it was, you know, there's the teleprompter or oh, your capo's in the wrong place or, you know, whatever he needed, I was there, you know. Here's the next song. Yeah, you could see him looking back at you you know, it, during that documentary, which if, if anyone in the audience has not seen, it's a phenomenal documentary, award-winning, called Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. And he actually uh, wanted to make his diagnosis with Alzheimer's public and invited two documentary filmmakers to join him on the tour to, to document uh, his, what he called his goodbye tour. And that must have been um, a wonderful gift to you to be able to play with him um, during that time when he needed you, uh, you know, kind of a juxtaposition of the first tour you were on, he was helping you to launch your career. And then this tour, you were helping him complete his. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, it was definitely a real blessing that the the filmmakers, you know, decided to to come with us because I just, you know, it's amazing how much even with iPhones now and the ability to record anything at any time, like you don't record every moment, and and so it was really special to have, you know, a lot of real video documentation of those beautiful years spent with my dad and even though it was very difficult and losing you know knowing we were losing him and him struggling with Alzheimer's you know we still had so many precious moments um that were caught on film and so I'm so thankful that I'll always have that to look back on because now that my dad's gone I it's it's nice to be able to look back and and see those moments actually play out. How did you keep your self grounded and centered during the time, the most difficult times with your dad, um, when you knew you were losing him. Is there, 
And that what I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about folks in our listening audience who have parents who have dementia who are struggling with, you know, the what some people have called the slow goodbye. That is there anything that you would recommend to those people to kind of maintain your sanity or your groundedness or your patience? Um because it's a it's a hard disease on the caregivers as much as it is on the person who's suffering from it themselves. Well, there's there's so many layers to to what you can feel when you're going through that and caring for someone that you love as you slowly say goodbye to them. I I found that you know, instead of holding that person accountable to who they really are and who they were before they were diagnosed, you know, try to enjoy who they are each day with the disease, you know, um, love them for, for what they still are, as opposed to what you, you know, wish they still were, you know what I mean? And it's easier said than done, because obviously you miss that person so much, but, you know, try to, I don't know, just try to be as present with them as you can. And it's not always, it's not always easy, and it's not always pleasant, but hold on to those pleasant moments where, you know, and where you might be able to laugh at something, even, even something with the disease, because, you know, if you're not laughing, (laughs) you're going to want to cry. So, you know, sometimes the, the person with Alzheimer's or dementia can actually say something or do something really darn funny. And it's okay to laugh at that and, and laugh with them. And, um, and just be there with them. And, you know, this is who they are today. And this is how their memory is. But um, as far as staying sane, um, with a, as a caregiver, you you can't forget about yourself. And I'm sure lots of other people have said this, but, um, you know, find find one or two things a day you can do for just you. And and remember that you are important and that you're important to that person that you're taking care of too, and that they would want you to still have your life or at least some parts of it as much as you can. Um, and I think one of the most important things there is is not being afraid to to reach out and ask for help. And, you know, we were very lucky. My mom was his primary caretaker, of course, because he, you know, she's always been his rock even before he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, like, you know, he always deferred to her, asked her what she thought, and, you know, looked to her for answers. Um, they were a true partnership. And with as the Alzheimer's progressed, he um, fixated on her because she was the one thing that he knew for sure was going to give him the answers that he sought. And so her, you know, she bore the burden of the the most of the burden of what he was looking for, you know, I would be, you know, I would be watching him and he'd be like, where's Kim? You know, so I'd have to, you know, he wouldn't let it go. So I'd have to call my mom, you know, but she's at the grocery store and we'd call her and he'd be like, where are you? She'd say, I'm at the grocery store. And he'd be like, okay, I'll be home in five minutes. Okay. You know, and then. (laughs) But he needed to know right then and there where she was and hear her voice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I was saying like, she was lucky and we were lucky that, you know, we are a close family. And so 
I lived at home with them along with my cousin, Matthew, who is like a brother to me. He's just a couple years younger than me. And he grew up with us as well. Um, so she was lucky and we were lucky that we all had each other. So, but, you know, because she bore the the main burden of being with him almost 24-7, because, you know, they, she slept in the bed with him. She helped him go to the bathroom. She helped him shower, all those things that maybe I, Matthew and I weren't ready to do yet, you know, um, I didn't need to do yet, but, um, we would say, all right, you go, she loved doing ballet. So we would say, all right, we got him this morning. You go do your ballet class in Santa Monica. Cause we lived in Malibu at the time. And so she would get to go and dance and be a little worry free for a while. Or we'd say, go have a glass of wine at the restaurant down the road with your girlfriend, you know, Great. little things, just yeah. little things that you get to do for yourself is very helpful. And if, and if you know someone who's going through that, just ask, reach out and, and say, is there anything I can do for you? You know, and it's not, I know it's not easy for someone who's not in the thick of it all the time to, to just come in and watch someone with Alzheimer's. But even if it's, you know, coming in and keeping an eye on them and, and the caregiver doesn't even leave the house, maybe you just go in the other room and read a book or cook yourself something or watch TV or just have a moment to yourself, you know, but don't be afraid to reach out for help. It's, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a disease. It's not, you know, it's not a drug addiction or anything. It's just, it's nothing to hide. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's part of the message, uh, that I got from the documentary and from what, um, your mom and your dad decide to do with having everything documented is I think your dad wanted not to hide from this disease and he wanted people to see it and, and see him going through it to get rid of some barriers, you know, emotional or psychological barriers that people have about talking about the disease. Um, and that I think was a huge gift that he gave uh, to people because they, if they saw him going through it, <clears throat> they realized, okay, he can talk about it. He can be seen about the doing, experiencing this disease, and so I'm going to feel free to talk about it. Yeah, and you know, when we first started filming the documentary, I, you know, I wondered, you know, like no one's really ever done this. And what are we doing this for? Who are we helping? Um, and it became very apparent very soon, you know, when people would come up to me at the, the edge of the stage as we were packing up our instruments after the show, and they would just say, well, number one, you know, like, I thought, who's going to enjoy a show where the guy has Alzheimer's, you know, are people coming to watch a train wreck? But, you know, people really truly loved my dad and so they were just so thankful that he was willing to be vulnerable in front of them and and still give his gift you know he still could give his gift and they were so thankful for that and they just came up to the edge of the stage and thanked us for what we were doing and and then when the documentary came out what what really you know made me feel a lot better and gave a little validation to what we did was families with with Alzheimer's because we did a lot of events back then and screenings for the for the documentary and people who would come to the screenings would come up to me after the show and just say 
thank you for talking about it. You know, thank you for bringing what we're going through out of the shadows. You know, we don't feel so alone anymore. And so that, that gave me a lot of peace hearing that. Oh, I, I definitely think that's what it accomplished. I think it raised the awareness to a whole new level and people did feel more comfortable talking about it. I think that made a huge difference. When you were, you put your life on hold to help your dad with his, with his struggles, um, how do you feel now going back into your career um, after taking that time off? Do you, do you feel energized? Do you feel depleted? How do you feel? Um, it's, it's hard to gauge because it's not like I, I don't see putting my life on hold and, and helping out with his care even after the, the tour ended. You know, I stayed with my parents and I, I helped take care of him. And I don't see that as a choice that I made. I just see that as something that I knew that was my duty to do. And it's not like I, I was, it's not like I dragged myself kicking and screaming to do that duty. I just, I did it out of love. Um, and there was no, there was no way I was going to cut and run. That wasn't an option to me. Um, but it, it did get very, very hard as he progressed into the later stages and we still had him at home. So after the tour ended in November of 2012 and, um, you know, I thought, okay, now I'm off the hook, you know, my parents are good. They're going to, you know, be okay for a while and they'll hire caregivers when they need to. And so I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I got a publishing deal in 2013. I got a publishing deal with Warner Chapel and I had a manager in Nashville. So I, I was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to go out on my own. This is my turn. I was 26 at the time and I moved to Nashville and I immediately felt the the guilt that that caregivers tend to feel when they do something for themselves. Um, and also I felt, oh my gosh, you know, it's almost like parents feeling like they're missing their children growing up. Like I'm, I was like, I'm missing my dad growing down. Um, and I, you know, um, but I, so I wrote, that's when I wrote my song, Remembering, actually. Which I um, love. It is a <laughs> beautiful, beautiful song. Um, thank you. And, uh, I'd like to, I don't, I want you to finish your story and then I'd like to take a pause and we can play that, that song, but yeah, that's finish what your story saying in Nashville. Yeah. So one of the, f- I, I met a guy named Kai Welch at a bluegrass jam in Nashville and, you know, one of my first couple weeks living there and we, you know, I admired his work and I, you know, we got, we made an appointment to get together and, and try and write a song. And so I, I came in with the idea for remembering because I was feeling all, all that that I just described, you know, missing my dad and knowing that he was going to disappear soon. And I wanted a way to to connect with him through music when, when words couldn't and when he didn't recognize me. You know, we always connected through music. And so that's where remembering came from. It was kind of me through music letting my dad know that I would have his back, that I would be there for him. And it's funny, I said like, oh, after we wrote that, because it was, it felt so real to me and, and it just kind of came, came straight from my heart. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh, well, 
I'm so glad we wrote that, but that'll never see the light of day. That'll, they'll never play that on radio or anything like that, but it's funny how that turns out because I, I shared it with the documentary um, makers and they loved it and they said, I'm putting this in the movie and I, it just kind of took on a life of its own, but that's, I think, a testament to to making art is that you know you don't make it because you think it's going to be commercially successful and you know you make it because you have to because that's something you had to say and so that's kind of I'm really proud of that song and and it means a lot to me and and especially now that my dad has passed um a song that I intended to to give my dad comfort now it it really comforts me you know because his his memory I feel I feel a presence. I feel his presence a lot in my life. And when I listen to that song, it feels like, you know, him coming down and putting his arms around me. Oh, that's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. What was his reaction when you played it for him for the first time? So I played it for him for the first time, actually, at um, a live show. It was one of the it was. It might have been the last time that he was out in public, actually. It was so a little, a little less than a year after I moved to Nashville. I moved in April, and I can, I, you know, I convinced my parents to move to Nashville because it was, you know, so much cheaper to live here. And also, uh, when we eventually would put him in a care facility, it would be so much cheaper than somewhere in California, you know, and we just couldn't afford the, the lavish care lifestyle. Um, and so I got my, and also I, I, you know, my motive, I wanted to spend more time with my, my dad and help out. I wanted to help. So they moved to Nashville. We, I, I found a house for them that they loved and they moved to Nashville in uh, November of that year, I think November or December. And I moved, I broke my lease at my apartment and I moved back in with them. So I did get to live by myself for <laughs> almost a year and it was, it was lovely. Um, but not many, you know, kids get to have their parents move to where they want them to be. So that's, that was also a gift too. Yeah. That they moved um, to Nashville. So, so my parents moved out and, um, you know, he was getting pretty far along with the disease, but my brother Shannon and I were playing kind of in a, in a duo project at that point. And we had a show at this local venue. It's a very small venue called the basement. And, um, my mom brought my dad to come and see us play. And this was kind of the official debut of the song Remembering. And so it's such a small venue that everyone in the room knew that Glenn Campbell was there. You know, people were shaking his hand and, you know, it's so nice to meet you, sir. And then when the show started, he was sitting in the front row and I introduced the song Remembering. And he was just kind of sitting there, just enjoying seeing his son and daughter play. But I don't think he really registered that the song was about him. And so... But he he listened very intently, and um, at the end of the song, he <laughs> everyone was refrained from applause because they wanted to see what he thought because um, it's a very emotional song, and and he kind of looks around. I think he stood up and he looked around and just said, "That's a good song." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, um, I am going to take a moment now and. Let you all hear a good song, which is Remembering by Ashley Campbell. Oh, and one more thing about the song. Um, so this particular recording is um, it's a recording I did for my new record for Something Lovely. Um, 
and the my brother Cal plays drums on it and my brother Shannon plays the second acoustic guitar and he's um so yeah my brother's my it's a family song my brother's it's a, both play it's on a it. family affair that's great that's great yeah. <laughs> let's listen Four years old running up the stairs to your bed Thunder rolls and I pull the covers over my head You say it's just a storm, enjoy the show You take me to the window and you show me that it's beautiful
Wow. Every time I hear that song, I think that is so powerful. And what a gift you have to be able to to write like that and to remember your dad like that. Um, if you like that, please run out and buy Ashley's newest album, um, which is available anywhere you buy your music. Um, and it's called Something Lovely. Please do that. Um, before we close, I just wanted to ask if you have any recommendations for people who are in our audience who have just heard of a diagnosis of Alzheimer's with their parent um, or their loved one. Um, from your experience going through the entire stages of the disease, is there any suggestions that you would give to them, any place you would suggest that they go for help? You know, you've got a lot of experience for a short amount of time on the earth. And uh, what would you suggest that they do? Well, first of all, I'd suggest that you educate yourself. Go to all the websites, just Google search, you know, just Google, 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 go down the rabbit hole. Um, and also tell tell your close friends and and to family about it and say I'm going to need your help down the line so I want to start the communication right now um you know don't be afraid to reach out and talk about it and and tell people what you're going through because you want to start that line of communication as early as possible and also I would I would definitely suggest watching the documentary because it's a a very good depiction of a family going through Alzheimer's and uh, it, it might give some pointers and just help you feel also that you're not alone. And, you know, so that's not me plugging the documentary. That's just me saying it's a very helpful thing to watch if you, you know, don't really know what you're getting into. Um, and it shows that there will be hard times and there will be also beautiful times ahead with, with your journey. Um, and that you're not alone, of course. Um, and you know, as, as things progress, just exercise patience with your loved one and love them for who they are every day. Not, you know, like I said, not for who you used, who the person you used to know, you know, they're going to be a little different every day. And you just kind of have to say, well, that's who I'm going to love today. Um, let's see what else. Find, find out what diffuse, you know, when, what diffuses them when they get, um, what distracts them or diffuses them when they get, this is just kind of a, a little life hack for dealing with someone with Alzheimer's, you know, when the person that you love gets confused or sometimes they'll get fixated on something if they're angry and they'll be angry about that one thing. Um, and you know, you need to be able to ch change that train of thought, you know, get them focused on something else and then they'll forget that they were angry about something else. Um, with my dad in particular, it was, sometimes it was as easy as carrying candy in your pocket <laughs> and, and just being like, Hey, you want a piece of candy? Oh yeah. You know, and then, and then he took that the candy and redirect and him. Yeah. Um, so just find what your person, what will kind of snap your person out of it if you can, you know, um, you know, everyone's different, but you know, find your own little ways of, changing the the emotional trajectory if they're really upset about something try and find something that makes them happy and then 
chances are they'll probably forget that they were angry about something. That's, That's very really helpful, good <laughs> advice. That's right. And, and not to talk about it because you're a musician, but music has made, uh, has shown to be, have a huge impact on people with dementia, just changing the mood, changing the energy. Yeah. A lot of times I just pick up a guitar and start playing and he would, because he was such a, a musician at heart, he'd just go, Oh, what are you doing? What's that song? Oh, no, this is how you play it. No, this is how you're supposed to play it. You know? So that was a, another great way of bonding with him and spending time with him. Um, another great tool is YouTube. Um, especially because he had never really used a computer a day in his life. You know, he barely could use his cell phone cause he was just a, <laughs> that kind of person. Um, I introduced him to YouTube and he couldn't like do it himself, but um, he loved watching old videos of him on the good time hour of him playing um, music with, you know, I'd show him him playing with Ray Charles, with Johnny Cash and wow. And he would just go, how'd you find this video? How'd you get this? (laughs) And he just, he loved it. But you know, and obviously not everyone's dad is all over YouTube, but um, you could find, you know, things that they would have loved from their youth, you know, like even just whatever, you know, old TV runs or reruns or something, or, you know, videos that might, they might have a personal connection with. Everything is on YouTube. So, you know, like if they're, I don't know, they love cooking, show them an old video of Julia Childs or something, you know? Yeah, no, I think, you know, this is very spot on. There's a actual piece of technology in our business called IN2L, which is it's never too late. And one of the things that they do is curate a lot of videos of old game shows of the 1950s or 60s or, you know, travelogues of different places. So if you, if your person loved France, you could travel around France. So, I mean, that recommendation of going to YouTube and finding what they love, you know, you know, my dad loves anything with animals. So I could, you know, show things, whatever that person interest is you can yeah and my dad loved to laugh so you know funny you said like videos with animals you know you could just show he loved like little stupid videos you know so you could show there's so many videos of animals doing silly things on the internet you know on youtube so that's a a great tool if, if your loved one likes to laugh you know um or you know if they love music you know show them videos of their famous artists like look up old james brown performances and or Glenn Campbell, for instance, you know, yeah. <laughs> like there's a lot of cool stuff that'll, that'll help bring back memories. That's great, great recommendation. Um, this has been such a delight to talk to you and you've really given us an insight into your dad and what a close and selfless family you have who have all came around to support him. And again, if you haven't seen the documentary, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, is so invaluable. Um, There's a lot of movies out there that depict what uh, going through dementia is like, but this is is real life. And uh, and it's very powerful, very powerful story about a very sweet and very talented man. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that that you would like to share any last thoughts with our audience, Ashley? Um, no, I think we covered it all. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> okay. 
Well, thank you so much, Ashley Campbell. Her newest album is called Something Lovely. Uh, Be sure to check it out. Check out her song that we listened to on the show, Remembering. And um, don't miss the documentary, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. Um, Ashley, thank you so much for coming. And thank you for listening. Uh, This is Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. And our goal is to help you get smarter about growing older. Until next time, thank you. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritytheauthority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.